Hi, I'm Raoul Powell, CEO and co-founder of Real Vision. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans and Balaji, I'll be on stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd to the 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Link in the description. Thanks. Join me, Raoul Pal, as I go on a journey of discovery through the macro, crypto, and exponential age landscapes. In The Journeyman, I talk to the smartest people in the world so we can all become smarter together. The Journeyman is my journey into the nexus of understanding of macro, crypto, and the exponential age of technology. And I get the coolest job in the world because I get to speak to the greatest people. And we've only been going for a while on The Journeyman, and we've had some incredible conversations with D. Smith about the restructuring of society and rules-based global order, to Dan Tapiero and and um, Mike Novogratz about the macro and crypto nexus, Tolly about Solana. We've had so many great interviews, and there's going to be a lot more coming this year. So make sure you do subscribe to this because I'm going to bring the very best guests, and it'll broaden your mind and broaden how you think about the world. And that's my job because I'm doing it for myself. It's kind of a selfish thing, but I want you guys to come along with me and enjoy the ride. This is the special piece that's gonna lay the ground rules for the year ahead. This is where I get to share some really important stuff. You see, <clears throat> I've been doing macro for 30 years and I've been in crypto for 10. And I've figured out frameworks that nobody else has figured out. I've been writing Global Macro Investor, my flagship research service, where I'm representing myself today because Real Vision doesn't have a view, but Global Macro Investor, my research service does. That's the DNA of my thinking. That's the most important thinking. It's subscribed to by the world's leading hedge funds, family offices, sovereign wealth funds, asset managers, RAAs, but also individuals. It's not cheap, but it really is the nexus and the depth and the, and, and the DNA of everything that I do. I've been writing that for 19 years. I think it's got the best proven track record of any research service in existence, which I'm immensely proud of. I've had a few fuck-ups too. It's not always been a um, straight line, but this year has been a flagship year. And I've been telling you a lot of the things that I saw back in 2022. I thought liquidity was going to bottom. I thought the business cycle was going to keep going lower, but the liquidity bottoming was going to lead risk assets, particularly growth assets, crypto and technology, higher. Those were my core bets this year, and those bets have paid off spectacularly. At time of speaking, the NASDAQ, we've been long technology all year, is up 50%. The exponential age basket, which is specially selected in GMI, and also Real Vision uh, Pro Macro, where a lot of the GMI stuff also appears, well, that is up 75, 78% so far this year. And crypto, that's been a stunning year as well. I've been long crypto. I made the switch, bought Solana into the sell-off last year um, and switched my ETH this year. And Solana's up 
So it's been a great year, but I think this is just the prequel of what's to come. You see, there's a lot to come going forwards. And that's why if you're not a subscriber to some of these research services and you want to get my detailed view, I think these are really important times to come and the opportunity is going to be massive. So keep your eye open for that. Obviously, Real Vision itself, I appear there frequently. You get a lot of my content there as well. But I really do want to keep you guys up to date. I try and give as much away as free as possible to help as many people as possible. But also, I have the main products as well. A lot of what I'm going to talk about is around the business cycle to start with. And the business cycle is something, again, many of you should learn. If you don't know about it, this is how the macro guys invest. It's using the ups and downs of the economy to help us predict asset price movements. There's a whole module in the Real Vision Academy that's in the Real Vision Plus tier where I talk through how I do it with my partner, um, Julian Bittle, Andrea Stalin Larson is part of that course. But that whole Real Vision Academy course has got tons of learning for you to teach you from step one how to be a better investor, how to manage risk, how to find research trade ideas, how to think about sizing positions, all the things you need to know. Anyway, this is not a sales pitch. I'm trying to do this to help you because I want as many of you to succeed in these coming years. And I can see online there's a lot of confusion. So let me lay out how I see the world. Now, I am fallible. I can get things wrong. But I've got a high conviction that the next year or two will play out, broadly speaking, how I see it. So let's dig in. I'm just going to share my presentation with you so we can start talking through it. Firstly, my macro outlook always requires a business cycle framework because that's really what gives us the juice in the trade. And I'll come on to the secular trends later because they're important too. But the business cycle is really the ups and downs of the economy. So firstly, let's deal with where we are today. Today, the present day, Here's the business cycle dominoes that help us understand that present day is where the ISM is today, which is below 50. So we're in weak territory, but not super weak. I thought we'd get a recession. I thought it'd be a mild recession like 1990. I still think we may get a recession. We may skirt it. Doesn't really matter because as, as this chart shows in that kind of gold box, risk assets are way ahead of ISM. They live in the future. My work with Julian Bittle at GMI and also for Real Vision Pro Macro, well, we live in the financial conditions index mainly, which is eight to 10 months ahead, which is why we managed to call the turn so well. And we have stuff like the China credit impulse that lies much further ahead, or also the ISM survey itself. We'll come on to that. You don't need to worry about it yet. The central banks, well, they live in the past. Data they're still looking at is lagging. And so they lag by six to eight months, which is why they're still at peak tightening while the economy is at a trough and risk assets are rising. This will all make sense to you shortly, so let me keep going. So many assets just follow the business cycle. I've got here the Russell 2000. That lives in ISM today. This weak economy is why we've got a weak Russell 2000. The Nasdaq lives in the future, which is why it's strong. 
There's no weirdness about the dichotomy between the cyclical companies and the secular trending ones. They always have this time lag. It's not some broken structure of the market or this is a bubble, that's a bubble. It's just normal. It's normal that the Russell 2000 lives in present-day ISM. It's cyclical. So that's where that is. Crude oil. Same. Crude has been weak because the economy's been weak. Crude oil doesn't forward-look the economy. What it does is it reflects the present state of the economy. Another way of seeing the economy as it is today is this chart, the number of states with decreasing coincident activity. So number of states with bad economic data. That's very high. It's kind of in recession territories. When it crosses this 26 level, we're usually in a recession. Do we get a proper recession or not? Doesn't really matter. Because a lot of that was priced in last year to the assets I care about. The forward-looking assets of crypto and tech, which I'll talk more about. But those of you who are small cap investors, emerging market investors, commodity investors, yeah, well, you're still at peak pain point, but it too shall pass. Next year. This is the bit that matters for everybody, particularly those of you who don't follow my exponential age thesis or my crypto thesis. And that's okay too, although I don't quite know why you're watching this channel because that's what I talk about. But anyway, just so you understand, next year, well, here we start to see the economic indicators picking up. So the Empire and Philly Fed, the average of those is already showing an uptick. They're crossing that kind of zero level to say, hey, growth is about to come back. The ISM news orders minus inventories, this is a classic business cycle indicator, probably the most classic. It gives you a three-month lead on ISM, and it's screaming higher. It's telling us that the ISM is going to recover pretty sharply. And those re recession fears, whether we get one or not, will be in the rearview mirror. Things will be getting stronger going forwards. And I know the last 18 months has been tough for many. Your portfolios and everything you owned got nuked in 2022. It's taken people's confidence away. I get it. Also, people have lost jobs. People's revenues have come down. It's not easy. But what I can tell you is 2024 is going to bring new sparks. The transition from macro spring into macro summer will take us from 2024 into 2025. We also have built a lead indicator for ISM. ISM, for those of you who don't remember, is the Institute of Supply Management Survey, which surveys buyers in companies to talk about the economic climate and what they see, their inventories, level of sales, that kind of thing, employment levels, inflation, and the Kratos index. Obviously, if you're using the Real Vision platform, even the free version and realvision.com, you can use the AI to explain any of these terms. It really is there to help you. It's also free. So realvision.com, and then bottom right, you see the bot, click on the bot. It'll explain these terms. Just ask the finance bot any questions about anything you get in this video. You're better off watching it there than you are on YouTube. Anyway, forward-looking indicators, five months lead. ISM is going to be strongly higher, crossing 50 in early 2024, and then 
rising into a nice, firmly growing economy later into 2024. The other one we use a lot because it gives us a bigger lead is the Financial Conditions Index, our own version of GMI. This gives us an 11th month lead on ISM. So 11 months later, it's saying ISM is going to be strong like the previous one showed us. And it will continue to be strong all the way into 2025. That's a good economy and that's going to drive asset prices. Remember that correlation with asset prices and the ISM. So we've got a strong year ahead, which is very typical of election years. So, and also it'll spread to the other asset classes that have been left behind. So it should be exciting and rewarding for most of us. Now, I know many of you are going to say, yeah, but what about employment? It's sticky. What about um, uh, inflation? It's sticky. When's the cowbell coming? How's stimulus going to work? This next set of charts should help you understand that too. You see, it all goes back to these business cycle dominoes. The central banks are living in the past. What they look at is the current read on CPI and the current read on unemployment, not the forward-looking stuff. I'll show you the forward-looking stuff and you'll see how that's going to fold out into the headline, whether it's core CPI, headline CPI, and the unemployment numbers. You see, a lot of inflation is actually driven by the really lagging components of shelter and wages. These things lag between a year and two years, which is why coming out of a business cycle trough, disinflation continues for 18 months or so before rebounding. That's why central banks tend to be easing well after recession has ended, because they are living in a lag time horizon. They always do. It's bizarre, but that's how it is. So, firstly, let's look at PPI, G5 PPI, producer prices. This is the point end of the stick, the thing that moved quickly. This is the, the producer's prices, and they tend to adjust very fast. It has a two-month lead on CPI and suggests that G5 CPI could head down to zero pretty soon, sometime in 2024. And that's something I've talked about a lot. I think inflation evaporates in 2024. The Eurozone PPI has been shockingly weak, down below negative 10%. And it tells us that Europe's CPI is going to come down to zero or below in 2024, and early-ish in 2024. So that should bring the ECB into action, cutting, because they care about inflation more than anything else. It's their single mandate. If we look at core PCE and just look at the six-month annualized change, this is here in the US. Well, here in the US, I'm in the Cayman Islands, but you know what I mean. That's already at 2.5% and falling. So it's showing that the inflation pulse is well behind us and stimulus becomes more likely. Even just using the base effects of core CPI year on year, we get to negative by the end of 2024. Do we get there or not? I don't know, but I think we're going to get very low and lower than the market expects, and that would be a surprise. It'll be a surprise on the upside of risk assets because it will mean more stimulus, and I think that's a really important thing. It also takes away the headwind from the economy. Now, obviously, we know with CPI, it's a bit of a con, because those prices never come down. Even if we get a little bit of deflation of 1%, it doesn't make it easier for people. But hopefully, the offsetting rise in your portfolios will help somewhat. The other way of looking at PPI is taking out that really lagging shelter component. 
which that's not going to deflate for another year. It'll keep deflating for a year or so. But if we take that out, core inflation is already at 2%. Now, I know you can say, well, why do I care about, you know, inflation that doesn't include my house? The point being is it's showing the trend. I'm not saying inflation's any less or you don't feel less pain. What I'm saying is all the other elements of inflation are coming down fast. And a lot of people tell me, well, inflation's sticky. And most people don't come up with any facts as to why that is. It's a hunch. They want it to be sticky. They want to relive the Volcker glory days. They don't want technology stocks to rise because they want to see the world that they know succeed, which is kind of crazy. You have to just look at the data and not bring your own biases to it. I mean, there is a probability, I'm not discounting it, that something changes in the inflation structure. But with this aging population, I think it's difficult. I do think unemployment will stay higher than expected over this cycle, but that's a function of less people in the workforce. And that's offset by the baby boomers who don't spend as much. Anyway, this CPI cycle is no different than all of the others. It's basically identical. It's this Mount Fuji pattern, up, down, and we should continue lower. Even that bounce is due to the year-on-year effects that we've seen recently, and we should continue over time to see CPI keep falling below the Fed's target. And when that happens, it drives asset prices. And if you look at the S&P versus the average trajectory of the last 12 episodes of inflation, it basically just goes up as soon as inflation peaks. And the S&P is just following the same pattern. Nothing unusual should keep going up. In terms of jobs, job openings, which is the pointy end of the stick here, well, they keep falling. And this should continue to keep falling, which means that the job market is going to be slow. Again, it's not going to be catastrophic, going to be slow and unemployment over time will pick up. You can see that from the unemployment rate versus the NFIB small business hiring plans. It leads by 10 months and small businesses have stepped back from hiring plans and that should increase the unemployment number somewhat. We've been targeting kind of the four and a half percent, maybe up to five percent, not sure we'll get there. That's enough to get the Fed in play, but not enough that it makes it misery for everybody. A mild recession was always the outcome. And we can't have massive unemployment, really, with a shrinking workforce. So those are key things. But you can see that unemployment, this is this thing called the SAM rule, where it deviates um, from its rolling 12-month lows. When it rises half a percent from that, it tends to lead to the Fed coming into action and a recession in play. We're kind of at those levels now. We backed off a bit last month. I think we'll get through that. And again, that may be the calling of the recession in Q4 this year, maybe even Q1 next year, because even though the ISM is going to be bouncing out, GDP lags it by three months. So we'll kind of get that print later. So that's kind of how I see it from here. Now, to go back with that, once it comes off that um, half a percent, what we see is the Fed cut rates every time. And again, I'm expecting Fed rate cuts in 2024, and I think not enough is priced in. Again, that's not consensus with the market. The market expects fewer uh, rate cuts. I just see this as a normal cycle, and I've been through many, many cycles since 1990. And when the Fed cut, they keep cutting. 
And that's usually the path. So let's see how that goes. And the other final lead that I've got here is many emerging markets actually raise rates before the Fed did this time around. That's usually pretty rare. And Brazil were the first to go. And Brazil, well, they're seeing their CPI collapsing. And guess what? Their policy rates being cut. So I think of that as a harbinger, harbinger, however you pronounce it, of stuff to come. I think inflation is going to fall. Rates are going to come down. It's a normal business cycle. Okay. You guys have heard me talk about liquidity a lot. Sorry, I need drinking my cup of tea. Hopefully you've got a drink or a cup of tea because there's a lot of charts to get through and a lot to focus on. Liquidity. I've talked a lot about liquidity, as you know. I think it's the important variable within this. Now, liquidity is driven by the business cycle, but understanding liquidity will really help you understand markets and where they're going and why we managed to nail last year when many other people were seeing it differently. Many people were bearish all the way through last year. I was max bullish and it paid off really well with yet another banner year for Global Macro Investor and um, uh, Real Vision Pro Macro. Okay, liquidity. Global M2, simplest form of liquidity. It's rising. It's above zero, going up, full cycle, in play. Liquidity cycle, that is what we want to see. As we get liquidity, it drives assets. More on that in a bit. GMI total liquidity index. That's taking private liquidity, public liquidity. It's the broadest perspective of liquidity we can create well into positive territory. It's above the kind of 5% when it gets really interesting and liquidity then accelerates. But it's this year-on-year rate of change that matters this most, and it's really going up. Fed net liquidity. You've heard me talk about this a lot, many people on Twitter. Fed net liquidity, year-on-year, going up. It's above zero. Fed is injecting liquidity. The Treasury will start drawing down on the Treasury general account the reverse repos trading, and eventually the Fed will give up with QT. Positive. Positive for risk assets. We also have a lead indicator, and this is the kind of detrended uh, liquidity cycle. And here you go, and you can see the forward-looking lead indicator all the way through, seven months ahead, keep seeing more liquidity. So that's going to be great for markets in 2024. 2024, sure, there'll be some ups and downs for sure. But it should be liquidity-driven, business cycle-driven, inflation falling, unemployment a little bit higher, rates coming lower, stimulus should be on its way. More cowbell is the way of the world, and it's the way of the world since 2008, and it will continue as so. Okay, our financial conditions index It's a great lead, which is why Julie and I spend a lot of our time living in that particular future, which is 11 months ahead of ISM. It actually leads global liquidity by five months. And it suggests global liquidity should be in the coming months by mid-2024 at 20% year on year. That's a really positive liquidity condition. And that will drive assets. So if we were to price the NASDAQ versus a 20% year-on-year increase by May 2024, as the previous chart showed, would that put the NASDAQ at 17,500 by May 2024? The NASDAQ's actually diverging from liquidity right now, and that's normal at this point in the cycle because it is like a beach ball being held underwater because it's a secular trend. 
unlike a cyclical trend like the Russell 2000. So the moment liquidity improves, it explodes higher. That's normal price action. And it may overshoot these targets. I have no idea. But I use this to keep me intellectually honest. Ethereum perfectly works against the global liquidity index. And again, it suggests that Ethereum may have a really good first half of 2024. The target from using the liquidity indicator would be about 5,300. Again, don't take this as, as you know written in stone. It's directionally, we should be coming to all-time highs in Ethereum in the first half of 2024. Let's see how that plays out, but it makes me very bullish on crypto assets. If you want to see how important liquidity is, look at this chart. The GMI weekly global liquidity index versus the NASDAQ on this scatter graph gives you an R-squared, a correlation of 95%. 95% of NASDAQ is driven by liquidity. The rest is driven by the secular trend. That's why it outperforms. Right now, we're expensive versus trend. But again, I've mentioned that's normal. If you look at the next chart, you can see that to be the case. 2018 and 2019 and into early 20, we were deviating a lot from trend. And I think we'll continue to deviate from trend, but with liquidity catching up over time. 2020, we had the big correction. 2018 was uh, rate hikes. We haven't got either of those on the cards. As far as I can tell, we don't have a pandemic or a black swan. Who knows? It could always happen, as you know. And we don't have a rate hiking cycle to come. We've had it. That got priced in in 2022. So I think it's relatively blue sky. Again, expect volatility. You always should. Um, and don't be surprised by it, but use it to your advantage. You buy the volatility in upward trending economic conditions. And finally, the next part of the liquidity is part of the everything code. The everything code was my overarching thesis that I've explained. It's on the channel here, so have a look at it. It's on Real Vision if you're watching this on Real Vision. Um, that shows that... <clears throat> The Fed balance sheet debasement of money is there to pay the interest on the debts accumulated over the previous cycle. You see, we're on this four-year endless cycle right now because back in 2008, the central banks reset rates to zero, all of them. And they have been issuing debt on four-year cycles, between three and five years, and they keep rolling that debt. Towards the latter end of the cycle, rates go up, the economy slows down, and then they have to start financing the debts, but the economy starts slowing down massively. And what they tend to do is end up using the balance sheet to monetize it. Ahead of us lies the monetization of the payments from the COVID cycle. You saw this year in the bond market when they started to try and issue new bonds to pay for some of the interest payments. The bond market freaked out. It's because there's too much debt. And you have, to, you have to issue an extraordinary amount of bonds when your interest payments have gone up from, let's say, 1% to 5%. They can't do it. The numbers don't add up. And so something has to change. That something, I think, is they have to bring rates lower and then eventually they will have to use the balance sheet. And being late in cutting rates is their way to ensure inflation undershoots their target. 
And I've shown that seems like it's pretty much baked in the cake. And that'll give them the cover that they need to relaunch QE. Whether they do it in the same format or a different format, who knows? But somehow, somebody's got to pay those debts. And there's no way the market can absorb it. All central bank balance sheets have all just been the payment of interest from the previous cycle. All growth is the same thing. It's an extraordinary thing I found that most other people, no other research service I know, found this. But we found it well over a year ago at GMI, and it really has helped us understand where it's going. Now, can this lag? Will this be perfect? No, I don't think so. Can it lag? Sorry, yes, but it won't be perfect. But directionally, you kind of understand the scope of the problem and the cowbell is needed. Cowbell is that term, um, just in case you don't know, which is my term for stimulus. It's from that Saturday Night Live sketch, you know, more cowbell. It's like more stimulus, more sugar. It's that. And that's what I think we need to get through this. Okay. Finally, in the liquidity section, this is our 15-month lead. Because of that global cycle repeating because of these interest payments, we're in a perfectly cyclical world. This perfectly cyclical world means things become more forecastable. Again, I don't expect perfection, but I expect it to very much follow the path of the past. And that would suggest liquidity is going to keep rising all the way into 2025. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans and Balaji, I'll be on stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd to the 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Link in the description. That cyclicality that seems predictable according to the Everything Code means that all assets essentially correlated. It's all part of the same cycle. Some things lead, some things lag. And that means you almost get no diversification in your portfolio. They're all the same, whether you choose a market, merging markets, commodities, tech, crypto, it's all the business cycle. So you might as well choose the things that go up the most. And those things also happen to be on a risk-adjusted basis, better bets too. That gets me really interested. I've gone from running much broader diversified portfolios to an ultra, ultra concentrated. Because if this everything code is right, this is a fucking gift. It's a gift for all of us. It's the one great macro trade. If that is right, then you should be taking as much risk as you can afford to according to your risk profile. And I'm taking a shit ton for me because I strongly believe in the work that we've done. This is thousands of charts and 30 years of work. I don't see a reason we'll get it wrong, but I'll keep you guys posted if things change because you know what? Nothing is perfect and I'm far from perfect. As I say on my Twitter handle, I'm clearly not a guru. Okay, I care about secular trends. Secular cycles, when you get them and capture them in the right point of the business cycle, become explosive. 
Remember that chart of the Nasdaq, the beach ball underwater exploding above the water because the Fed just took the foot off the gas pedal or the brake, sorry. That's the power of a secular trend. It outperforms any other trend and it's more calibrated to financial conditions. It's more juiced by the business cycle than anything else. These are the things that matter to me. And there's two massive secular trends that dwarf all others. Crypto. Here's the chart, the long-term chart of Bitcoin since 2013. Some people use this chart longer term. I used to. But the early cycle was so kind of ridiculous that it screws up the chart. Other than that, it's actually a perfect log trend. And as you know, we think the business cycle peaks sometime in 20, end of 2025. And that would suggest a crazy sort of target that could get somewhere between half a million and a million dollars in Bitcoin. Do I expect that? Probably not. But who the hell knows, right? These cycles can be crazy. And this one feels more like the 2017, 16, 17 cycle than it does the prior cycle. And that cycle didn't have a lot of central bank printing. Well, not in the US, but central bank balance sheets were rising. We saw 20% growth and what happened of liquidity and what happened was crypto absolutely exploded. I kind of feel like that's the case. I don't focus on the end target. I focus on the structure, but I'm just showing you the magnitude of the opportunity. And we're still at one standard deviation oversold. It's all to play for. We've barely started. NASDAQ, another beautiful logarithmic trend. I mean, this is a killer. That's all you need to know. Is the world going to be more digital tomorrow than it is today? Yes. Will it be more digital in two years' time than it is today? Yes. Will technology reach more adoption in the coming two years? Yes or no? Yes. I ran that poll on Twitter. 95% of people agree with me. Yet most people keep missing this trend. They don't want to believe it. It's expensive. I think it's a bubble. Blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, best fucking trend you've ever seen. So just capture the trend. It suggests the NASDAQ somewhere between 25 and 30,000 at the end of this cycle. That's another great set of returns. So those are the two mega trends. How do they compare? Well, simply put, Going back to 1990, kind of the dawn of the internet and computing ages, the NASDAQ has just relentlessly outperformed. All of the noise you see on Twitter, oh, I mean reverting, the NASDAQ's expensive, blah, 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 blah. It is the biggest trend you've ever been given. And many of us in macro land didn't see this. We kept fighting it because of what happened in 2000, the bubble and bust. But that, as you can see, was extraordinary. The rest, super smooth. It's the same log trend, and I don't see that changing. Could we create another bubble based on AI and the exponential age? Sure. Let's make some bloody money from it, as George Soros would say. But I don't see any elements of a bubble. It's just a normal trend that eats all other equity sectors alive. There is no point owning other stocks. Every other bet is suboptimal in this world where everything is correlated. So if you're going to take bets, buy the NASDAQ. If you want to outperform the NASDAQ, buy the semis. If you want to outperform the semis, buy the exponential age basket. Simple as that. Crypto. So, sorry, to go back to the to the um, 
Nasdaq S&P chart, it's outperformed the S&P since 1990 by about 5% a year. That's including the crash. If you go on the recent trend, it's about 13% a year. It absolutely crushes the S&P, the Russell 2000, cyclical stocks, commodity producers, commodities themselves, all of it. So it's a really simple thing. You don't have to do a lot. You can be the moron on the left of the bell curve or the genius on the right. Just don't be in the middle of the bell curve. Don't be the midwit. Just keep it simple, stupid. Technology going up. The world is getting more digital. When we look at the Bitcoin chart versus the S&P, it's even more stark. Since 2013, so we're not even cherry picking the really, really early dates, but it's been outperforming at 88% a year. It's crushed it. Now, considering it is also highly correlated to liquidity, it's all the same cycle. Then this is the horse you back. You back the fastest horse, which is why my bets lie mainly in crypto. Because they're all the same bet and risk-adjusted returns in crypto are much better than anything else. But you have higher volatility. You may not want the higher volatility. You'll still capture returns. But this is where you get the excess returns. So that's the power of a secular trend. Now let's put them into the everything code. Again, I talked about the fact that the ISM is a repeating cycle since 2008 because of the debt refi cycle. So future ISM looks like past ISM inverted. So it suggests that we keep going into 2025, the end of 2025, which I've shown you in a number of different formats. And with that goes liquidity. I showed charts earlier how liquidity and ISM all go hand in hand. There's the chart of global liquidity and the NASDAQ just keeps going up. What a beautiful chart. That's the trend we're trading here. It's easy. Same with Bitcoin. The reason the Bitcoin correlation is actually lower than the NASDAQ is because of these super spikes on the upside because it's so skewed to the right tail, which is amazing. So now when we put this all together, we can actually forecast using a number of proprietary things we use at GMI out into the future. Please do not expect this to be a crystal ball. Do not expect these exact targets. It's directionally going to give you an idea of what the next two years look like. It gives you that target that we talked about before of about 21,500 in the NASDAQ by May or June of next year. It kind of looks like it kind of holds a bit after that. Maybe there's a correction. Maybe not. Maybe it dislocates a bit. As you've seen, there's plenty of parts on the chart where liquidity can correct a bit, but the chart keeps going. That's 2015, for example. Uh, that was typical then. But by the end, it says the NASDAQ would get to about 27,500, which is exactly where that log chart showed it as well. So I like it when certain things come together. So basically, all you need to take from this is there's plenty of upside to come. Of course, there'll be ups and downs. But in end of 2025, you'll look back and you'll have come a long way. And that is a great trade. With Bitcoin, it gets even more interesting. You see, that gives us, it gives us a kind of extraordinary set of numbers, which make me think that these are overstating it. So I'm just going to assume 
that we'd halve these. Maybe they're right. I, I don't know. We'll have to see. The everything code is new. You know, yes, it's worked in the past, but who knows? Because it gives us crazy numbers, like 218,000 by May. That's post-halving, post-ETF. It would give you a target of half a million bucks by 2026, which is in line with the log trend. So it's possible. doesn't feel like the most probable outcome. feels a bit ludicrous to me. But anyway, directionally, half the numbers. Assume Raoul is a total moron, which certainly my wife would do. Um, then you still get great numbers. So it's all to play for. And that makes me interested. Now, Bitcoin's actually not the horse I'm going to back in this race. I'll come on to that in a sec. Remember, that target is the same as this log chart. The NASDAQ log chart gave the same as the Everything Code target. There's a level of consistency that I think is interesting. And it gives me comfort to suggest that we're likely to see something similar. Okay, let's talk crypto. Takes a slip tea. Crypto is the horse I back the most. It's the fastest horse in the race, best risk adjusted returns, high correlations to this global liquidity index, which is our everything code. So we know how the asset price behaves, which gives us a competitive advantage when we use our proprietary frameworks. Bitcoin is just a macro asset. All of the noise you see from the Financial Times, all the newspapers, to all of the media, to the noise on Twitter, to the naysayers, oh my God, this is magic internet money, this is magic beans. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. Bitcoin is a macro asset, like everything else, works from the same thing. Liquidity, business cycles, secular trend. Global M2, fabulous correlation, Bitcoin. I've been using this all the time. It helped us catch the low um, in uh, November last year. It'll keep going, as we showed earlier, anyway. So this cycle should keep extending, and we'll get amazing rates of return because the year-on-year -year rate of growth starts exploding if you look at that left-hand scale. We can also look at why I choose crypto versus the NASDAQ. If the NASDAQ is such a damn good bet, why would I not choose that? Well, because Bitcoin, year-on-year, versus the, sorry, Bitcoin divided by the NASDAQ year on year also follows M2. So I, when liquidity conditions are rising, crypto outperforms tech stocks. And that's because of the structure and incentive systems built into a tokenized ecosystem where you're owning part of the underlying network and you get paid for the adoption of the network. Um, look, similar, some equities can look like Bitcoin. We've seen NVIDIA, for example, see network adoption at scale, and it ends up looking a lot like Bitcoin. Um, but the index as a whole, it will always out underperform. So that's why I'm so heavily weighted in the crypto space. Beautiful chart here, FedNet liquidity and Ethereum. Bitcoin has actually outperformed FedNet liquidity. The beach ball underwater, why? Because of the narrative around the ETF. Also, in macro crypto spring, Bitcoin always outperforms. Much like in macro spring, treasuries tend to outperform credit. Later, when we move to macro summer, alts, ETH first, Solana, others will start to massively outperform Bitcoin. 
much like junk bonds outperform um, treasuries. So ETH is just doing what it's supposed to be doing, but it's not giving us the big surprise. I think that surprise comes the moment the ETF is out in Bitcoin and people will focus on the ETH ETF and it'll bring the ETH ecosystem alive. It's This year, it's been a story of Solana, which I've been along all year, um, and um, Bitcoin. That barbell has been the best trade in the world. Or in fact, just owning Solana has been the best trade in the world, bar none. Um, but ETH, it'll play catch up. It'll do well. Here's the ETH chart versus Bitcoin back in the 2014 to 16 phase. Going in to remember where I've said, I think this is a repeat, similarity repeat of the 2016-17 cycle. It's at this point that you had the sideways consolidation, the breakout, the next consolidation, and then it goes batshit crazy. We're into this peak phase. I think we go a bit further. Um... And then we'll correct, whether it's sideways or a sharper correction, who the hell knows, doesn't matter. Just don't use leverage, stay in the trade. And if you get some cash, buy into the next set of weaknesses. Normally, these corrections are like 30%, these bigger corrections. So expect something like that. It shouldn't freak you out. You should be expecting it. If you've got cash, you should add. It'll be your last chance to add at decent levels because then things go bananas. Also... Bitcoin, I think most of you realize, it's just a beautiful cycle. The purple shaded are the Bitcoin bear cycles. They're one year. That's all they are. One year cycle. Yeah, they crush you, but they're one year. And then the rest of it just recovers. So as you can see, the, I think this cycle we're in now looks more like that 2015, 16, 17 than it did 19, 2021. Uh, 19 came out of the gates really, really fast then corrected, then we had COVID, which we were not going to repeat. I know many people are expecting, oh, we're going to get a 50% collapse and you buy that one. It's not going to happen. Of course, you'll get corrections. I think they're most likely more sideways, give or take a 20 to 30% range, because that's the world we live in, in crypto. But we should keep going into the end of 2025 if we're just repeating the same old cycle, which I think we are, because the Bitcoin halving cycle is the same as the election cycle, is the same as the everything code debt global debt refi cycle. They're all the same thing. So I don't see any reason why it won't play out that way. And that's what I'm expecting. So good times lay ahead. Some people don't use the straight linear log regression. They use a curved version log regression bands. I don't really like these. I think people use them because they explain the early price action because it was so steep, it kind of screws up uh, log regression charts which is why I start mine in 2013. I think, like the NASDAQ, it'll stay within its log regression. This would be the less optimistic version, and that would tell us that somewhere, <clears throat> probably if we extended that to the end of 2025, we'll get to 100,000 in Bitcoin. So that would be the least bullish case. The other bullish case would be the straightforward regression that can get you to a million dollars, the everything code gets you at half a million, or something in the middle, call it 250, something like that which is the discounting rails everything code by 50% because he's a moron phase. Something like that. Again, don't get caught up on that. Just realize it lies ahead. But we're also, as liquidity picks up, this chart is the old season. It's the percentage of assets outperforming Bitcoin over a period. Guess what? It looks just like the liquidity charts. As liquidity rises, alts eventually 
start to massively outperform. We're in early altcoin season and we're seeing signs of that everywhere. DeFi has done really well. That was like DeFi was the early cycle last time around too. There's been a breakout, Solana, that's an alt. That's done really well. But we're not yet at 50%. Once we start to get to 50% is when things get crazy and everything goes up. That lies ahead too. You know, I have an asset management firm, Exponential Age Asset Management, um, and we have a digital asset fund of hedge funds. So we invest in digital asset hedge funds, the best in the world, to try and capture the alpha of stuff like alt season. It's hard to find the right coins. It's not an easy thing. So we farm it out to the experts and let them do it. And we've been skewing our whole portfolio based on this top-down methodology that we have. There's a lot more to it, but the top-down methodology has meant we're pushing out the risk curve to make sure that we capture the alt season and the an outperformance of the overall um, crypto cycle. And so, you know, I put these things into practice, not only in my own portfolio, but also in my asset management firm as well. These things are really important and they are predictable. The other chart I love to look at, it's one of the best looking charts in the world, is this beautiful wedge that broke, which is altcoins X ETH, total market cap. We should go to 2 trillion in this. So we've got a 4X plus out of this. It could go much further. You know, these things can really extend. So again, alts, really interesting, really hard to choose. Um, you know, I'd rather farm it out to hedge fund managers. My alt bet has been Solana. Um, I have a scattering of other stuff, but really it's all been slammed to me. I've tried to find the biggest, fastest horse uh, in the race and not try to get cute because I find it too hard and you end up fucking it up. And the whole idea of this crypto cycle is do not fuck it up. You can basically capture most of the returns, most of the returns just by being in Bitcoin, ETH, Solana. And if you need to feed your inner degen, 80% in stuff like that, and 20% or 10% in the stuff you want to punt. So you can feature in a degen, but you don't screw up the whole trade. Again, don't fuck this up. It's the key mantra for this market. Don't overtrade, don't use leverage, don't FOMO following your friends, looking at a trade you missed out. Just stick with the program, hold your trade, add on sell-offs, anything over 20%, add into it, and just calmly let it play out. Don't overtrade. Don't try and pick tops. Buy in, buy out. You'll miss it. I've seen everybody do it. I've done it myself. Just stick with the program. Keep your cool head. Hold it. Store it on your ledger. Don't let your exchange blow up and take it away from you. Don't do bloody DeFi farming because something else can take your coins away. Your job is to not part with your coins until 2025, particularly towards the end of 2025. That's your one job. So anyway, you've got the brief. Hopefully, you'll remember again, repeating the words, not to fuck this up. Okay, finally. One thing at Global Macro Investor that we talked about three, four months ago is we said, we think Q4 is going to be something that is bananas. As liquidity starts, as the spigots to liquidity start to open, it should cause a kind of dramatic increase in prices. Part of that is the seasonality of the S&P 500. Here it is. It's been a beautiful chart. And off we go to the races. We should finish the year strong. I think we finished the NASDAQ S&P all-time highs. So 
Nice finish to the year. Same with the NASDAQ. 93% correlation with seasonality. Off we go to the races. Nothing unusual. You'll have a correction or two en route and you'll have some big spurts into the end. Everyone's going to be benchmark chasing at the end of the year. Let them do it. Just hold it. But what gets interesting is next year, the seasonality remains bananas. Presidential election years are very positive. The stimulus. And that stimulus helps buy votes. Buying votes allows the stock market to go up as well. They want that to happen. And this is the, the seasonality going back to 1964. Again, you can see you get some volatility on routes. It's not a straight run, but it's a straighter run as you can expect in markets. So it should work out pretty well, I think. Bitcoin seasonality is the same. Presidential election years, up only. The reason you've got the sell-off here in March is because this data has 2020 on. If you took 2020 out, straight up only. But there's only two cycles, so here's three cycles. But it's up only. It's the banana zone. It's when you make a shit ton of money by just sticking with the program. And hopefully I've laid out what the program is. How not to get caught by the next shiny thing. You know, betting on oil going up or something. Yes, there's trades to be done. Do those trades, but don't screw up the big position, the secular trend, with the liquidity trend, the everything code, the supermassive black hole that is crypto. Please don't screw those things up. Now, Coinbase has been a great one as well. We've been along that for a while, and that's exploding higher. And it's been exactly following the post-crash pattern of the NASDAQ. And that should continue higher too. Again, choppiness, but generally higher into year-end going into the ETF. Amazon and Coinbase have been great. The Amazon bust when it fell 97% coming out of the uh, dot-com crash. Coinbase has been following that beautifully, as has ARK and a whole bunch of other things. And Coinbase is starting to wildly outperform, and it should continue to do so. Coinbase, I think, is one of the single most superior equity bets in the world um, because of what we know from the Everything Code, where crypto should be going over the next 24 months. Coinbase is going to be a massive beneficiary. So I think it's a it's a great opportunity. This stuff works. It certainly worked this year. And I still think it continues to play out into the coming years. It won't be perfect. There'll be times when you're questioning me. There'll be times when I'm questioning myself. And maybe it's right to do so. Things can change. But I'm assuming they don't a lot. And using this exact framework from last year, we nailed in Global Macro Investor and for Real Vision Pro Macro, 660% in Solana, 96% in ETH, 72% in the exponential age basket, 60% in semis, NASDAQ, 47%. And you see the cyclical stuff that lag behind because it lives in present day ISM. They'll all be positive next year. But again, some horses are faster than others. In this section, I'll leave you with this one chart. This is the banana zone on a two-year basis. You might have seen this on Twitter. It's a great fucking chart. This is what happens in the halving year and the year after. Is it going to repeat? Pretty likely to, knowing what we know about the everything code, knowing what we know about the log trend, knowing what we know about liquidity and the business cycle, knowing all of those things and the ongoing adoption of crypto, and the speed of adoption, it's pretty likely. It's going to go somewhere 
to the top right. Where it gets to, we'll find out en route. Now, let's look at some technicals to bring it all home. We talked a lot about the banana zone um, back in October last year when things were correcting. We said, look, October, always the end of a, of a bear phase. Generally, things get bullish, chase into year end. NASDAQ exploded higher through that, and I think it ends the year at all-time highs. As you know, we got forecasts out to 17,500 or so um, for Q2 next year from the Everything Code um, and from liquidity cycles. Feels about right to me. Let's see how that goes. Um, semis, same, beautiful breakout. Banana zone, we're in the middle of the banana zone, keeps going. Apple, banana zone, middle of the banana zone, keeps going. Tesla. This is the one chart that I think is the big trade. Of all the equity charts, Tesla and Coinbase are the two that I think encapsulate everything. Coinbase encapsulates um, the whole crypto theme. And Tesla is AI, EV, robotics, network effects, probably AR, and a whole bunch of things within this. And this chart is the step, you know, step up, consolidate, step up, consolidate. The next step up, if it breaks the uptrend, that is a massive inverse head and shoulders, and the whole thing should explode higher. I think this thing can 5x from here, maybe even more. And that, for a company of this size, is extraordinary. And that's really what I think is coming. So Tesla lives in two worlds. It lives in the world of the Russell 2000, cyclical car company. Sales are sluggish, inventories are stacking up, prices are being cut. But it also lives in Techland, where AI is growing exponentially, robotics, EV, all of the themes of the exponential age. So right now they're fighting each other, which has kept te Tesla down. I mean, yes, it's been it's outperformed. I mean, it's done very well. I mean, it's up 200% this year or whatever. But the real move comes next year when the business cycle turns higher, car sales go up, inventories fall, and the exponential age really kicks in. Then Tesla's kind of unbeatable as a stock that represents all of it. So I really have my eye on Tesla. Arc. Arc is the forward-looking part of growth. It, like Coinbase, has been bottoming for a while. It should do very well over the next few years. So I'm very bullish on Arc and many of the companies that Cathy owns. I think their bet is the right bet. Yes, it took a beating, but that's all, all of growth tech did. And yes, it will recover. Um, and so this theme will remain strong in the years going ahead. It had its kind of terrible moment. And I think going forwards... It's a great place to find returns. Coinbase, similar basing pattern. It's broken out. It's leading the way. You know, I think this goes to new all-time highs and well beyond. So again, very bullish. Ethereum, we broke the downward sloping wedge. We broke the kind of flat top. We're retesting it currently as we speak. This is Monday, 11th of December. This is 10 days before you get this. Um, it should, I think, consolidate, then go higher and keep going. So I thought it might have got further this year, finished the year at 3,000 or so. I doubt it gets there, but who the hell knows, right? Crypto, it could do 
50% in four days. So I don't know. The correction that was needed because the markets have been quite um, strong is underway right now as we speak. Let's say maybe by the time you get this, crypto's back at highs or maybe it's still correcting. We'll see. Again, I don't really trade the short term. I don't really give a shit. Um, what I'm interested in is capturing the long-term trend. The long-term trend of ETH, beautiful wedge pattern, broke out. New all-time highs lay ahead. I think, you know, I've always thought it's about 15,000. Yes, I thought we were going to have this super spike into the last um, peak. We didn't get it. Um, so, you know, I bought call options, if you remember, that you all, all endlessly berate me over. Um, but I do think we get to those targets over time. So I still w w remain wildly bullish over ETH. I think ETH is a super high quality asset. I have no idea how ETH is going to deal with reduced supply with a massive amount being staked and an ETF coming. Where the hell are you going to find the ETH? The more activity, the more it gets burned. It's going to get very, very squeezy in ETH. So I think, again, there's a potential, a 20% chance that ETH, like Bitcoin, kind of wildly surprises us. That we're a little bit scarred from the last cycle, and what we get is a repeat of that 2017 bananas cycle. Let's, let's see. It's not my base case. There's no point betting on the bananas case. It's nice if we get it. If not, we'll do just fine. Thank you very much. Um, but ETH has been underperforming Bitcoin. But here we are. This is a weekly DMARC chart showing the nine signals. And we're basing, I think, on what is a larger wedge pattern. And what we should see is a bounce from here and a break to the high. So I think ETH outperforms Bitcoin, and that gets driven because of the Bitcoin ETF coming out, everyone focusing on ETH, for the ETH ETF, money piles in. Remember, ETH is like half the size of Bitcoin. So if you move the billion dollars that went in to speculate on the Bitcoin ETF, move that same billion into ETH, it'll move it twice as much or more because of the staking issue and um, how much is staked and also um, the reduced supply. So you get outsized effects as this money sloshes through the risk curve. So I think that's coming. It's very, very close. This is driven by the business cycle as well. The business cycle dynamics drive this cross. And as liquidity rises above zero, we start to see this in the in the global liquidity. So it's very close to happening. So you should have your eyes peeled for it. Again, it's not a call about what chains better than what. ETH just has a broader, deeper network, uh, Metcalfe's law of debt. Um, model than Bitcoin does because there's more users of the network in multiple different ways, the applications layer. Bitcoin's got better with the ordinals and other stuff coming, but it's still not there yet. So a lot of it's just the store of value and the sheer number of people and the size of the positions taken in Bitcoin. ETH is a whole different beast. So <clears throat> again, don't compare the two. Don't go down that red herring. Great asset. Bitcoin always out. Um, ETH should always outperform in a um, liquidity-driven bull market, we're getting to the point where you should be thinking about switching. <clears throat> and that's what we did with Sol versus ETH. You can tell I'm now not married to a trade idea because I love ETH, but I bought Sol because of this chart, the breakout of the trend. The breakout of the trend, you know, I was buying this um, Sol for a while and then just switched most of my ETH and caught most of this explosive move. I mean, it's been 
a hell of a fucking trend and it looks like it's just going to continue. Soul should be the darling of this cycle. Sure, there will be other stuff. Your promote my bags token, I'm sure they'll do brilliantly and you're, you're a genius for picking them. Um, I'm not a genius for picking Sol. I just looked at the thing with the biggest network activity that I could find that was that had a false narrative to it. Um, but your insert my bags, I'm sure they'll do well. Please don't shill me them. Um, I just I don't trade stuff. I am a very concentrated macro risk taker. So insert your bags. Your shill won't work. But look, I do wish you well. It's not that I have a better idea. You will find stuff that will wildly outperform me. And I wish you luck with that. I'm just not an expert enough to do it. So your bags will probably do tens better than I am. So don't start giving me the, my bags are better than Sol. I don't care. Um, Sol Bitcoin, another beautiful breakout all at the same time. All part of this, the coming of Fire Dancer, the narrative, the NFT, pressed NFTs, just Solana to me was the right bet for the cycle for me. So there we have it. I've given you what I would say is Raoul's masterclass in macro and crypto. I've given you everything that you need to understand why we're here, where the fuck we're going, what are the opportunities, why those are the opportunities. I've given you the next two layers for you to understand how I think of these things. I'm really trying to help you build a framework of understanding so you can not fuck this up whether it's the crypto cycle or the technology cycle or both. This is like a gift of an opportunity. I think it's the biggest and best macro trend I've ever been given. It started a while ago, but I think the mass adoption phase of all of this, both crypto and this technology, lies in this phase. There is a chance that we get a wild-ass bubble out of this as narrative gets well ahead of the reality and then eventually catches up. But by 2030, the world that we live in today will be unforecastable. I won't be able to do this analysis. This won't work. A world populated with productive units of AI and robots that create infinite population. Remember, GDP growth equals population growth plus productivity growth plus debt growth. In a world of infinite population growth, AI and robots act like humans. And a lowering of the base cost of electricity, driven by EV, nuclear, and other stuff, gives us unparalleled, unfathomable economic outcomes like GDP doubling in a year or more. Things we've never seen before suddenly become possible. What does it mean for society? What does it mean for you and me? What does it mean for your kids? The exponential age is a gift of an opportunity to invest. I feel blessed to be at this most momentous point in history with the fastest, biggest pace of technological change and societal change humanity's ever gone through. Yes, it will scare the shit out of all of us. Yes, we will feel left behind. But yes, there is opportunity. And I think the other side of it, I'm more optimistic than pessimistic. Even if the robots are our masters, they'll probably be nice to us. We're not bad people after all. Certainly you guys aren't. 
if you are interested in the exponential age and really understanding it, then I have a research service which is called The Exponentialist, the Exponentialist with David Matten, who also writes for me at Global Macro Investor, where we cover the technology. This is a service for those people who are super curious about this. They want to invest in it. It's not a trading service. It's kind of a set it and forget it portfolio with business cycle analysis around technology. Really what it's about is David's long-form essays, my essays, and discussions about discovering and going down that journey of the exponential age. So you can make sense of it for yourself, for your kids, for your businesses, what it means for you. Because we are still humans in this journey. And at times like this, we as humans need to understand that society is going to change. This election is going to be very hard for people because of the rise of AI. So don't lose your shit out there. Stick to the focus. The AI, the the election is not going to feel good, but the markets will make you feel a lot better. Anyway, I hope that helps. That just leaves me to wish you Merry Christmas, whatever holiday you celebrate. And here's to a fucking great 2024. Take care. Thank you. And don't forget, subscribe to the channel so you get the next updates as soon as they come out. Have a great one. Thanks.